0: Well, we are uh, continuing in our series. In fact, we're concluding it this morning, Connecting Sunday to Monday. And this has been a series which has called us to connect, to connect our Sunday worship to our Monday morning, a call to connect all of life, whatever it is that we do during the week, to connect all of that to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. We know that there can be a tendency as humans to, to have a disconnect at times between our belief and our, and, our, and our faith with our everyday responsibilities. So we've been exploring what the Bible says about connecting the two. And so that's why we've called it Connecting Sunday Worship to Monday Mornings. We began a few weeks ago by seeing that God himself is a worker. His innovation and his creativity were, di- were on display as the creator. And we, being created in His image, are also called to live productive lives. We looked at a concept out of the Old Testament, a Hebrew word, avidah, if you remember that. And the, the word is sometimes translated work, sometimes service, sometimes worship. And we saw that in a very real way, our worship, our work can be worship because we do it all unto the Lord. Uh, The next week we saw that there is no divide for us as Christians between secular and sacred. That for us, everything that we're a part of is to be sacred because all that we do is is unto the Lord. We do it for him. We do it for his glory. And so uh, uh, we we, we really are are, are working against that mindset of secular and sacred. Two weeks ago we saw that there are challenges found in the workplace. And these challenges come because work itself was corrupted in the fall. When sin entered the world and the curse of sin began its impact upon this planet, the, the, the work itself was deeply impacted. And that even causes struggles in the workplace today. Although we saw that those struggles can provide opportunities for growth. And I did have one person after the service say, Pastor, I've had a lot of opportunities for growth in my uh, in my vocation, you might be able to relate to that. Today we're going to conclude and we're going to see that our work provides other opportunities as well and uh, some very unique opportunities that might not that might not be anywhere else than in those responsibilities that we have. And so I hope that that today uh, once again we can we can take a broader look at our work at our vocation and uh, and again I realize that, that that touches us at different seasons of life. Some of us uh, may not be, be going into the workplace anymore, but you would agree that, yes, God has still given me responsibilities, and those responsibilities I can still perform and still do with excellence and for His glory. And those, those, those uh, responsibilities provide unique opportunities, and we're going to see a couple of those uh, this morning in our time together. The first one is this, opportunities from the workplace contribute to the common good of others. It's helpful for us to remember that we live in this world and we live with other people, that it's not all about us, but there are there are uh, aspects of our life which are meant to connect with those who are around us. You may have heard this phrase common good. I I think this this phrase has become quite popular in uh, in recent days. We think uh, when we hear common good, uh, sometimes it's it's an encouragement to conserve natural resources, right? Uh, sometimes you'll see it at the bottom of an email that comes in about common good. Uh, think before you hit print, right, before you use the piece of paper. Uh, sometimes common good comes up when we think about resources that we all share, maybe, maybe uh, natural parks or uh, 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 different areas of, of, of conservation. We think that, that, that these, are, these are things that are for more than just us, that when we have stewardship with them that we are, uh, that we are also uh, protecting them for other people. So we think about common good, but I think as believers, we're going to be able to see it from, from a, an expanded viewpoint this morning. Here's how Tom Nelson, the author of Work Matters, I've got a few quotes from him today. And I highly recommend that book. If this series has been something that has, uh, that, uh, has been of interest to you or you have found uh, particularly uh, applicable to your life, uh, Work Matters by Tom Nelson is a book I would, I would recommend. And this is what he said. He said, if we are going to more seamlessly connect... Our Sunday faith with our Monday work, we will need to indwell a robust theology of everyday life. This will mean embracing a life of common grace for the common good. So the idea of common good is seen, I believe, in a theological expression called common grace. So before we, we, we see about our common good contribution, let's think about the common grace that God has given. In fact, he said it this way, the doctrine of common grace is a biblical truth grounded in the very character of the triune God, tethered to creation and reinforced in redemption. Common grace is unmerited favor and goodness extended to all persons made in the image of the triune God, regardless of their eternal destiny. Now, listen to what he's saying. The idea of common grace helps us remember that God has poured out grace over all of the earth, to all people, that they receive his blessing, that, that they receive his, his provision. But it's not the same as saving grace, Right. First is the common grace that everybody receives, but they still need saving grace. The point he's making is, and I think we should understand, is that God is a, is a very benevolent and bountiful creator, and he has provided for, for everyone to receive the aspect of his goodness. In fact, Matthew 5 says this in verse 45, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Here's how Stephen Garber explained uh, in an article he wrote about common grace. Here's some examples that he gives. He says the sweet smile of a baby, the tender embrace of a mother, the glories of the sea and the sky, the gift of good work that satisfies and serves the ordered safety of street lights and speed limits, the wonders of good novels and good music the miracles of x-rays and dental care, the steady support of friends and the enduring affection of a spouse, the accountability of justice and the responsibility of citizenship, and on and on and on. Each are examples of common grace. He finishes by saying, they do not save us from our sin, but they are gifts of God, and we see them as that. How often do you look out and recognize God's everyday common graces? The things that he provides in everyday life and be able to say, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you. Recognizing that this is a good gift that you have given. Sometimes we see it in nature. We look at a a beautiful sunset or we see something in the animal animal world. And we just are, are reminded of God's blessing upon us. But even in our everyday interactions, we can see God's grace at work in this world. And for Christians, I believe it's an example for us as well. Just like God's common grace undergirds our understanding of common good. Just as God intentionally blesses all of humankind with these gifts of His goodness and grace, would you agree that we too should willingly contribute to the well-being of those around us? You see, as Christians, that's part of our opportunity, part of us being able to to see God's common grace and and extend that to others. But I would say sometimes, even from a Christian, that this can be uncommon. Do you think that Christians are known for exhibiting common grace? A lot of things that Christians are known for, right, if you want a stereotype. But are we known for extending common grace? Some might ask well why, why, would, why would it be uncommon? Is it because we are afraid of promoting a social gospel you 've probably heard that phrase before that that a social gospel would just be uh, trying to, to to do good within society but not ever really preaching the gospel, not really talking about sin and not talking about redemption you know we, we wouldn't want to promote a social gospel, but we don 't want to swing the pendulum so far that we know that we don't worry about the needs of those around us, right? Even the everyday common needs. Some people would say, "Well, maybe, maybe it's because of the divide of secular and sacred that we would we would label some of those other things as being secular, common, everyday, and we want to be about the sacred, which would be preaching and 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 giving uh, the, the the gospel verbally and those kinds of things." Some might say, "Well, maybe it would take." Resources away from evangelism if we are helping and thinking about this idea of common grace and common good. Well, I think we should be challenged on our thinking. And I think we should see the opportunity of common good within the framework of God's common grace. That if God is one who is sending rain on the just and the unjust, that he, if He is providing blessing throughout the earth to everyone, that we should also want to liberally provide blessing and grace to those who are around us. However we can. In any way that we can. To make a contribution to the lives of others. And I believe that then, that can be a foundation for an eternal influence to take place. We're going to talk about that in in just a minute. But before we leave the topic of common good, I I want to share a couple of other passages. One of them is in Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah 29, verses four through seven. Now, this is a time in which the nation of Israel was exiled to Babylon, living under captivity, right? Not in the place of their choosing. But I want us to see God had some special instruction on how they were to live, even in a foreign country, even in a foreign city among people who were not followers of God. You might ask, what kind of instruction would He give them? How would He tell them to live in a place like this under, uh, while being in captivity? Well, look at Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Interestingly, Babylon is, is where it's in modern-day Iraq. He says in verse five, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. Look at verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So even in this, what we might call pagan city, God's covenant people were to go about normal lives, right? Of working hard, raising families. But do you find it interesting that they were also encouraged to help with the, uh, with the, uh, with the flourishing of the city? That they were encouraged to, to contribute and to seek, if you will, the common good of those who were present. So if we if we miss it here, Jeremiah even uses a word, uh, the Hebrew word shalom. He uses it three times in verse seven. Now, depending on the translation that you're reading, uh, it it might it might be translated uh, uh, well-being. Or you might see it as, as as welfare, which is what the ESV says. Um, but we know that the word shalom also means what? Peace. He's saying seek the peace of the city. Seek the well-being. And, and peace, as defined, is not just the absence of conflict, is it? There's some definition here. It says that conveys not merely the cessation of hostility or war, but the flourishing of all God's creation. It's, it's speaking about completeness, of being made whole. And, and so he's saying, look at the city and contribute to the shalom, to the peace of the city. Again, people exiled into a foreign place. Covenant people that are, that are not in a city of covenant. Not in a city of believers in and, and the Almighty Jehovah God. And yet, they were still called to provide peace so that the city could flourish. Do you see how our everyday lives contribute to helping other people's lives flourish? Could you take a step back from a moment and think about the job that you do? In some cases, maybe it's the job that you did if you're retired. You can look back and hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you to be able to see that that our jobs are contributing more than just a paycheck for our existence. There's more than that. There's more common good that is, being, that is being expressed through the everyday work. Think about the people you will encounter this week. I realize that they may be in the break room or the board room or the stock room. Maybe you will in- encounter other people in the cubicle or maybe in the classroom if you're a student or a teacher. They may, there may be some people uh, that, that whose, whose lives are being formed in your home right now. Or maybe you're thinking about people in your neighborhood or another community organization that you're part of where you connect with other people. You know who they are. And I want you to think about the God of common grace, if I can refer to Him that way this morning, that the God of common grace is wanting you to care for the common good of others. That He places people around you That even this week, there will be people in your sphere of influence that you can impact to help flourish, to help bless, to help build up. And that God has placed them around you for that very reason. A few weeks ago, we were looking at the idea of vocation. And really the theology, the belief of vocation that came into existence during the days of the Reformation. If you remember, we talked about the fact that in that time, there was a real divide between secular and sacred. That that, that the church was viewed as, as sacred, that the work of the church was viewed as sacred, but that everything else would have fallen under the secular category. And in the Reformation times, there was this interest that, no, everything should be sacred. It should all be done unto the Lord's uh, glory and for his honor. And so in that time, one of these reformers by the name of Martin Luther also wrote quite a bit about this idea of calling and vocation. And one of the statements that, that Luther made is he says that God doesn't really need our good works, but our neighbors do. Have you thought about that? That what you do, your neighbor needs. Those in our community need. Your productivity, your contribution. Again, whatever that might look like. Because we've all been given responsibility, right? Here are some some New Testament passages that I believe give support to our responsibility to the common good. Let me give you three very quickly. The first one is this, Galatians 6.10. It says, So then, as we have opportunity let us do good to what does it say everyone now it goes further than that but it says let's do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith and we know what that is right here within our our church family other believers that you that you know in the community that we we especially want to do good for them right we we understand that but we're also to do good for everyone. Another one is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15. It says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Again, part of our calling. Doing good to others. Contributing to the needs of others. Finding ways to. To be a blessing to those who are around us. And one other passage here. Acts chapter 20. Verse 35. In all things I have shown you. That by working hard in this way. We must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So these are just three Scriptural examples of how we are called to produce and and, and pour in to the the common good of those who are around us. So if you think about these concepts of common good and common grace, which is the the idea that we talked about earlier of, of God extending common grace, I would ask, what do you think a life of common grace might look like? If we were to walk out of here today and say, I am motivated to extend God's common grace to those who are around me. How might Monday morning look different? How might this week look different? Did you hear the, the young man who was praying on his way to work? Did You, did, you guys saw the video, right? Okay, good. Did you hear him? That was a prayer. And it sounded to me like he was praying about a new job. So maybe he had just been assigned to this particular workplace and he was about to meet people for the first time. And what was he doing? He was praying and he said, God, this is my mission. Did you catch that? He he, he said, God, you've you've given me the ability to to work with my hands. I'm good at it. And now I'm going out wanting to be used by you. So your skill, your gift, your opportunity may look different than this man's. But nonetheless, we've all been given opportunity, and to, to 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 contribute to the to the to the blessing and to the welfare of other people. Let's take this a step further, because God may be ex- expanding and extending His common grace through you in ways that you might not have even noticed. So let's take a minute. Let me tell you about a guy named Scotty. Okay. True story, real man, he's a mechanic. Scotty is a mechanic who loves Jesus. He's faithful to his church. He has a, a, a wife that, that uh, uh, works with him. They, they have their own mechanic shop. And by the way, you don't know Scotty, I don't think. He doesn't live in this state. It's an example that I'm, I'm pulling from, uh, from an article that I read uh, by a man named uh, Charlie Self. Uh, Charlie's a pastor in California and he's writing about one of his church members. And, you know, we could have added a lot of other different church members, even from our own church to this illustration, but think about Scotty for a minute. Scotty is a mechanic. He loves the Lord. He has a mechanic shop. He employs six other mechanics that, uh, that serve there. And so yes, he is faithful to his church. He reads the Bible. He uh, he's, he's, he's raising his family in the, in the Lord. He's committed to his church by serving on committees. And, and uh, he teaches a class with uh, for special needs children. He has a great reputation in the community. But there's more to it than this. While these are all great uh, purposes that, that God is using and working through, there's more than that. It goes on to say that that in his business... It's not merely a secular means to a sacred end. His business is his mission. He's contributing to the flourishing of the community and to the economy in ways that the church might rarely measure. Here's a few examples. Scotty's automotive helps feed, clothe, and house over 40 people because of the employment of six other mechanics and their families, right? Each of these families participates in the community and in the local economy. They work, they spend, and they give of their time to serve others. Hundreds of people bring their cars to Scotty's shop each month. They come, some of them in a time of crisis, others in a a, a need to get the car repaired so so they can go back to everyday life and they can go to work and they can go to church and they can go to sporting events and all the things of life. So he's contributing to that. Scotty also pays his taxes. That contributes to the to the good of others. It does say in here that he sometimes grumbles about the taxes. Might uh, be able to relate to that. He pays into the workers' compensation plan. He pays health care benefits, which directly and indirectly support the medical community. He pays rent on a large building that is used for his shop. And so there's income there for the landlord as well, and that itself finds its way back into the economy. Do you see what, the, what the, this pastor is trying to communicate? He's trying to show that there is a lot that's taking place in this man's life that's contributing to the common good or the common grace of others. that it's not just the matter of him receiving a paycheck so that he can support his church or support other, other endeavors, that, that his mission is his business. It is his workplace. It is his world. And I I hope that maybe you can stop and think about your life and your contribution as well and see that it does extend and have a ripple effect that may be further than what you had noticed. Yes, the workplace does provide for our common needs. But it also has a contribution towards the common good of others. This is all part of our daily calling. It's connected back to what we saw several weeks ago. That God created, He is a creator, and as those being made in His image, we are also called to produce and to innovate, to be productive. It's part of our design as humans, and given the responsibility to tend and to cultivate God's creation. Now, the opportunity for us to contribute to the common good of others leads us to the next opportunity. And so this is probably the one that you were thinking about when you first saw the title, right? When you first saw the title, you were probably thinking, yes, our workplace provides opportunities for evangelism, which is exactly true. It does. And it, and it happens in a variety of ways because of the natural and normal influence that we can have upon those whom we interact with on a daily basis. So um, I want us to think about that, but, but I... I want us to look at it in the context of how that common grace comes first and how the contribution of the common good comes. Here's how Tom Nelson said said it. It is often in the fertile soil of common grace where the seed of saving grace takes root. And it is often in and through our vocations that we have the opportunity to indwell common grace for the common good. So... Think for a moment about the contrast that happens when you enter the workplace or you enter into the community, when you interact with someone outside the church. Think about the contrast when you come out as someone who is seeking to encourage someone else. And you might have to ask, is that person finding encouragement from anyone else? Is there any other source of encouragement? It might only be you. Providing encouragement. What about what about you finding a way to express appreciation to someone who's done a good job? I don't know about you, but in some workplaces, you can go a long time without hearing a word of appreciation. Are you in one of those types of, of jobs, in one of those kind of workplaces? So, so extending common grace could be you looking for a, an authentic way to express appreciation to someone else. I can tell you, folks, that would be a contrast because they're probably not used to receiving much appreciation, are they? There may also be a way that you can you can detect a need in someone's life that you could help meet. You can help them with something, assist them with, with a need that's there just to have the antenna up. Maybe, maybe it'll be that you would be able to be the one who will take time to listen to them. Again, it could be in the workplace, it could be in the neighborhood, it could be in some other social organization that you're a part of where you are the one taking time to listen. You may be the one that is that is an example of hope, an example of peace. These are not things that people see every day. So see this as part of the common grace of God that can be extended through your life. It's then that we have I believe a credible influence for the gospel. Because let me just say it this way. If all those things I just mentioned are foreign to our everyday life, do you think people are going to be ready to listen to us when we break open the book of Romans and start going down 323 623 58 10 9 and 10? What do you think? They're going to want to see the life lived out. And then, and then you have that opportunity to share a word of testimony. Could be a little here, a little there. And then all of a sudden, it may be a time when you're able just to unfold the beauty of the gospel and lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ. It's all working together in partnership. And God sometimes is doing this even in our workplaces. So let's go to the second point. And in case you're wondering, yes, it is the final point. And secondly, yes, it is shorter than the first point opportunities which extend the saving grace of the gospel to others. That's the second one I want to talk about this morning. This is the opportunity to influence others to place faith in Jesus Christ. And I want us to take notice of the difference here. Notice the difference between common grace and saving grace. Because I don't want to be misunderstood today. It is only when someone repents of sin... When they recognize that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's only when someone places their faith in Jesus Christ by repenting of sin and asking him to forgive their sins that someone is saved for eternity. People are not saved and placed in heaven by common grace or by common good. It's only by saving grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ that someone is transformed, that someone is reborn and is given eternal life. And so that's why we can't stop at the first point. We can't stop with the common good. We have to to be motivated and we have to have an urgency and an intensity about us to get the gospel to those around us while we have opportunity. And oftentimes it happens in the context of our workplace. Yes, I know we have to be careful. Yes, I know that there is a right way and there are certainly many wrong ways to go about that. But we have to have it in our mind. Just as the young man on the video did. He was praying. He said, God, even if there's one person that you can bring into my path today that I can extend the gospel to. He's thinking about it. It's on his mind. We know that we're called to be as representatives. We're called to be as ambassadors. And we live in a world that desperately needs to hear some good news. Some true good news. The early Christians were described in Acts chapter 8 verse 4. As those who had been scattered and were bringing the good news of the word wherever they went. Isn't that a good verse there for us? Wherever we go. You and I. We're scattered too, aren't we? When this church ends today, whether it's after the ABF or after the 11 o'clock service, when we are scattered, we go to all different parts of the metro, don't we? Our jobs take us to different areas. North, south, downtown, west. We go to a lot of different places. Even in business, business travel, we are scattered. And wherever we go, we can take the gospel with us. And you'll be going into places that I won't be going. And I'll go to some places that you won't be going. And so that's how it works, As we are scattered. At Laterno University, there is a center for faith and work. And their executive director's name is Bill Peel. And here's what he said. He said, we might assume that reaching people with the gospel has gotten harder. In a way, this is true. It is harder to get people to visit a church, listen to a gospel presentation over a media source, or attend a crusade, but the avenue of personal relationships remains wide open. Now, you remember this last summer, we did kind of an informal survey. Uh, We were in the congregation here, and we, we asked people to stand up when I spoke of the main influence that brought someone to Christ. It was an evangelistic crusade. To stand up, if it was uh, if it was uh, uh, something they saw on on, on on television or heard on the radio, to stand up, and there were a few little peop, uh, a few little people. There were a few people uh, that stood up in, diff- in different different uh, uh, statements, but it was a little it was little response until we got to the last one, which was how many of you would say that you were primarily influenced towards the gospel with a personal relationship, either from a friend or family member, and then what happened? About 7 out of 10 people stood up, right? And that's what he's saying is still the opportunity for us through a personal relationship. Okay, now, I don't know who did me the favor, but the clocks are all missing up front. What what time have we got? (laughs) I'm getting different responses. Okay, well, uh, my apologies to the ABF because I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Let me give you another quote from Bill Peel. He says, We go to work not to climb a ladder, but to walk through open doors that he unlocks for us to become a significant spiritual influence on those with whom we work. All right, so let's wrap it up with Colossians 4. Last passage for the day. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Think about this as we go into the week. Whether it's a work week for you, Whether it's a week into the the community. Think about Colossians 4. Beginning in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I am in prison. That I might make it clear. Which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What great daily instruction for us as we interact with people around us who have not yet placed faith in Jesus Christ. Look at how he talks about an open door, that praying that he could be wise, that he could be gracious and that he could have an answer. I was talking with one of the men that attends the Friday morning Bible study at 630. And he hung around a couple weeks ago and and talked to me about some ways that God had provided opportunity for him at the workplace. He said that that he had something on his desk that he intentionally had that was faith related always had something there that someone could, could would catch someone's eye that might prompt them to ask about it, so that then he could discuss what it meant to him as part of his faith. This could include maybe something you pick up on a, on a mission trip, or it could be a, a picture of a, of, of a project or an event that you've been a part of. He said he always had something there that, that, that the Lord might use to prompt someone to ask him a question. He said he also looked for other believers at the workplace. And he, tried to, he, he, he tries to get a gathering of them together. Maybe if there's a day of prayer or a special occasion or a holiday, that he tries to get the believers together, maybe even early, to pray together. Again, seeing that they are there together for the, uh, for the good of those around him. I was just blessed to hear how he was intentionally looking for ways to be a witness. And I know we could add to that list and you could give other examples, I'm sure. Of how this can be done. More often than not. Evangelism is a long term process. It typically involves several people. Maybe you'll be one of the first. To have gospel influence. Or maybe you'll be one of the last. That gets to see someone's faith. Develop into a personal relationship. With Jesus Christ. Let's take some time. And ask the Lord to to bless our time in his word. And to help us to apply it. And so would you bow with me as we. Have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that it is practical and how your theology works itself out into everyday life. So God, may we think this week about extending common good. May we see this week how we can extend the saving grace of our Savior Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you will scatter us all around this community, and the opportunities that are before us. Father, we pray for anyone that may be here today that has not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that this would be a day where they would first turn to You, and they would come to You themselves as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray now that You will bless the offering that will be received. May You use it. May You use it for uh, extending Your kingdom in this community, and around the world through the missionary efforts of those who will be supported. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.